All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 20 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. Uh, Frank Saravalli has the uh, day off today. He will join us next week. Uh, we are a very special guest because we did a lot of trade deadline talk uh, earlier. And of course, with the trade deadline comes draft picks. There's only one GM who got a first rounder and he ended up getting two, Yarmo Kekalainen. So we're going to talk about the draft. It's been a very odd year for amateur hockey. And some teams, some leagues have played more games. Some teams, some leagues have barely played any. So how will this impact scouting? Chris Peters, of course, formerly of ESPN and CBS, longtime draft analyst. He's going to join us to get us a rundown. And is there an advantage for like the USHL, for instance? A lot of those teams have played almost a regular season. So we'll get into that. Of course, the uh, playoff push is on. Uh, starting to see a little bit of separation. There's still some races for fourth place in each division. Of course, St. Louis, Arizona, and San Jose kind of holding on by their fingernails in the West. In the North, the Calgary Flames tonight, if they beat the Montreal Canadiens, they're suddenly two back. The Habs would have three games in hand, but could Calgary, could they come back and make the playoffs? We'll discuss that a little bit later on. In the central, the Nashville Predators starting to uh, slowly separate themselves from the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Dallas still hanging around 
Not sure they'll have enough. They still got a tough schedule, lots of games in a short period of time. And in the East, man, all those teams loaded up. The Islanders, the Capitals, the Penguins, and of course the Boston Bruins, Taylor Hall scoring his first goal for the Bruins last night in a victory for them. The Rangers have gotten hot, but is it going to be too little too late for NYR? Well, we'll look into uh, all of that uh, a bit later on today. But today's more focus is going to be about the draft. Uh, I know it's uh, the middle of April. Usually we would be having the draft lottery this weekend. But due to COVID, everything has changed a little bit. But that doesn't change the preparation and the viewings or lack thereof by scouts. So we're going to get into that right away with Chris Peters. All right, let's get to our big guest this week, brought to you by jockmkt.com. It is a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. You can trade shares of players in real time with other users. Prices are driven by user trader activity. And if you just want to try it out, it's very simple. Use the promo code DFO20 and you get a $20 deposit. Okay, check it out, jockmkt.com. And our guest today, a, a guy who uh, perfect to have on as we want to talk about the upcoming NHL draft. Many of you uh, have heard him and read him at uh, ESPN, uh, USA Hockey, also at CBS. But now, like a lot of guys, he's ventured out on his own. You can check him out. Hockey Sense on Substack. Chris Peters, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, I appreciate it. It's a, uh, you know, it's a unique year. Now you live in, I, I'm going to call it USHL country uh, sure. and the U the USHL is one of the leagues that has gotten to play, you know, pretty close to a full schedule as a scout. Like I know you started getting into rinks early in, in 2021, you know, the numbers were surging. So you weren't going to rinks earlier, but as a guy who's now entering his second decade of scouting, you used a lot of video how different is video compared to live viewings for a scout? Oh, well, it, you know, I started on video when I was, when I was just kind of getting going as an independent blogger, really. And so I felt like I felt pretty good about it going back to it, but then all of a sudden I realized how much I miss seeing games live. And it really, there's a lot of context in games. There's a lot of, you know, things behind the play. Certainly you're at the mercy of camera angles, decisions by the director to make certain cuts uh, to, to, to different, different areas of the rink. So, you know, you can lose little pieces. You can still get a really good sense. I think it's, you know, it becomes more difficult when you're trying to really evaluate the mechanics of skating, when you're trying to um, look at just kind of the, the, the pre-play movements of a player, you know, before they're really engaged in a play, what are they doing before that? It's hard to see that on video. So, um, and, and the other thing that's nice about, you know, being at live games is there's always more things that you will catch when you're not focused on a, you know, when, when you're the player that you're watching is not on the ice or when there are other things like, you know, especially now with video, you can, you can chop up games so easily with, with just watching shift by shift where you start losing some of that little, those extra guys that you find that you like. Um, so you, you know, you, you really end up having to watch a lot more video and a lot more specific video, but yeah, I say in general, I think everyone would prefer live viewings. There's just a lot more to it. You can get by with video just fine. And I think that if you know how to watch video and if you you're practicing it, you can, you can be all right. But I, I know that for a lot of veteran scouts, this transition has been difficult. Um, and it's not one that they enjoy. They certainly miss the rinks. And I think that, you know, they feel like there's, there's things that they're missing when they're not, not at a game. 
Now you, of course, you know, you, you interact with a lot of the NHL scouts and, you know, scouts, uh, it's unique. Uh, I've had scouts when I run into them and ask me my opinion on a guy and I kind of chuckle. I'm like, dude, this is like my second time seeing him, but <laughs> you're always looking just to, at times to, to see what other people see when, when you're compiling your own list, how, how do you ensure that, you know, you don't have the outside noise that it's going to be your own opinion. Cause it's, it's hard not to get influenced by what others say to you sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't tend to start asking the questions about, you know, how you feel about a certain guy until I have basically formulated my own opinion and I feel very strongly about it. Um, and I think that it's always interesting to me. I, I haven't had many instances where I'll have a conversation with a scout and it, and it changes my view, but sometimes somebody will say something that I hadn't thought of before, which I always appreciate because there's so much that, you know, I don't know that, that others do. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the outside context, background and information. Um, I tend not to talk to a player's coach a ton about, about them until very late in the process. Usually, towards when I was at ESPN, I really wouldn't even make those, I wouldn't even make those contacts until closer to the combine. And so I basically want to have a really good sense of, of how I feel about a player before I do anything that, you know, would, would kind of take my opinion and, and move it. So for instance, that, you know, I just put out my, my spring draft rankings and now that they're out, I will start asking more scouts. Hey, what did you think if they read it, you know, what do you, where, what do you think about how I am on this? Cause I want to know after the fact, I don't want to, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good practice to see what they think and what they've seen. Cause some of those guys might've seen a guy live four times that I only saw live once or, or didn't see live at all. Um, and, and I value their opinions and, and, you know, I think you also have to kind of keep a tight, a tight group of, of people that you trust and people that you can have open conversations with that are more, you know, free flowing and in depth, but not one where, you know, they understand that what they're telling me isn't going into my work. It's, and it's more, I, what I'm telling them is, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I never think as the writer that, you know, what, whatever I say is going to impact what they do, but I do know that they read, they read what we do and, and they're always interested to see what the public perception is of players. And that's kind of what, you know, people like myself do. So, yeah, but I, I think that it, I I've, I've been very, especially later in my career, I've been very cognizant of saying, this has to be me. This has to be what I think, because that's what I'm getting paid to do or what I, you know, what people subscribe for. And I feel that comfortable enough in the experience that I have. But then again, you, you go back and you say, okay, now we review and we, and I, and I learn from whatever I hear and that sometimes that'll show up in the final ranking. Sometimes it won't, but um, I think it's always valuable to get that information after you feel like you've made a very sound judgment on your own. When you look at Chris Peters circa 2011 till Chris Peters a, a decade later, how better are you as a scout? What, what do you see now that you didn't see before? I, I think, I think there's just one thing I've, I've watched so much more NHL. I've always been an NHL fan, but I, I watch so much more NHL now in a, for the purposes of watching what I need to see from players. Um, and that is, that has greatly improved my ability to not get so in love with one particular trait. I think about early in my career, I was, I was obsessed with, with skill. Um, and, and I still am, I still want players that are skilled. 
I still want to see players that, that have, have a special ability, but I'm starting to, you know, you, you have to be able to see the, the warts in those players as well. When, you know, sometimes they are a very skilled player that there's other elements of their game, like their skating or their hockey sense or other things where, you know, maybe they're not deploying the skills appropriately. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we, as, as we've kind of moved into a, an age where we're more analytics driven and, and I, you know, I, I've, I've become much more in tune with historical context for performances. Um, I, it's something I look at very closely, much more closely than it. And I think I, you know, one of the players that helped me learn that lesson was Alexander Barkov because I, I still had him as a top five pick in his draft year, but I didn't really fully understand how special what he did was in the Finnish Liga. Um, you know, and there are tools now you have, you have different websites like Elite Prospects where you can look at historical context and you can compare them against players of, of similar size, age, um, you know, abilities and, and style. And that helps you a lot in terms of building a more complete picture. So that's a huge element. I think getting that historical context, but also not using it as a crutch to say, well, of course this guy is going to make it, you know, William Eklund this year in this year's draft is, is one of the more exceptional U 20 players or U 18 or U 19 players in Swedish hockey league history, you know, in terms of, of points per game, the role that he plays at his age. Um, but I have to see that not just the numbers. I have to see what he does. And he's still an exceptional player. I think, you know, potential top five, top six pick in this draft. And, um, you know, but yeah, I think those are the types of little things that you pick up along the way. And, and I think I I've just become more in tune with different technical things. I think I'm a better evaluator of skating now than I was then. Um, I think I look at it a lot more critically. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping eyes on, you know, how defensemen, keep their gaps and, and, and how they transition pucks and all those other things. I mean, you, you just start looking at the little nuances of the game more, the more that you do it. And the only way you can get that, get there is with reps and just continuing to watch games. And I was really lucky to have tutors when I was at USA hockey that, you know, at the national team development program of people that were allowing me to watch video with them were allowing me to go to games and that gave me the foundation, but it didn't give me everything. And so I've had to pick up a lot of the rest along the way from the various scouts that I've met and the people that I've, I've talked to, but you just, it's, it's the same as anything else. You only get better the more you do it. And I, so I think the reps are the, the real reason that I've been able to better contextualize players and, and still know that there's, I will never know enough to be a, you know, perfect evaluator. It's just, and, and nobody will. So that's, that's well, always something I keep in mind. And, and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent. I'll, I'll be very honest. I'm a huge proponent of moving the draft age back a year. I would keep uh, five spots open for those elite Connor McDavid's and other kids who are 18 who can jump right into the league. Cause we all know there's only two or three every year who come directly as pure 18 year olds to the national hockey league. And because the one thing I look at when I see a lot of players is and, and I, like size. I think sometimes people, when they hear size, they just think of height or right. weight. And to me, size is, is height and weight, but it's really strength. And then you can add in tenacity to it, but the strength component is a lot really in your DNA. And, you know, there's people that are, that are late physical developers that, you know, their father or, you know, their uncles and brothers didn't really fully develop until they're 20, 21, 22, where others are fully developed at 18. And I think that's, is that the biggest challenge? Cause when you project, cause obviously scouting is a lot of projections is one of the biggest challenging ones to project, are they going to have the strength necessary to be successful in the NHL? 
it, it is, it's, I think it's harder for somebody like me to judge that for sure. I think that teams have become much more in tune with getting uh, the, you know, the medical side involved, getting their strength and conditioning coaches involved. And that's why at the combine, you know, I, I think one of the reasons that Elias Pedersen dropped to five was because there was a lot of Intel that, Hey, he's not going to tack on a lot of weight. He's not going to become a lot stronger. He's going to be injury prone based on his physical profile. So do we want to take that risk? And I think, you know, it, some of that's been proven correct in that he's had injuries and he's been out at times. Um, but at the same time, I think when he is healthy, he's an elite player. And, and so you, that's the risk reward that you kind of look at, but it is very difficult to project out on, on a lot of players. Um, I'm trying to think of some that, that come to mind in terms of, um, you know, I think RNH was obviously a guy that, that people are like, is he going to have the strength to do it? And he, I think he's one of those guys where he was just smart enough to, to adjust and he did get stronger. He's not, it's not, you're not going to call him like the strongest guy ever, but you know, he's, he's in there and, and, and made, made it work for him and for his, his body type and everything else. And I think that's where I always value hockey sense so much more is because I think that as we've seen with more players, you know, like a guy who did develop strength, but never developed explosiveness is Jason Robertson right now. He, he was, he was always a bigger player uh, and a, and a highly productive player, but he his skating. I never, that that's the reason why he wasn't a first round draft pick. And it's also, you know, why I think it took him a little bit longer to get to the NHL because they had to figure out if he could do it. And then he just shows up and he's, he's having a sensational rookie season um, so yeah, so those are the things that are very difficult to project and it, you know, I don't have the benefit of having, you know, the doctors and the physiotherapists and everybody else looking at these players, uh, with, with their experience to, to make some of those more educated guesses, but at least that's something that teams have done much more lately. So now before we get to the 2021 uh, prospect list, and I know your spring one just came out and, and, and people can uh, check that out at Hockey Sense, um, a guy who's been talked about a lot, uh, he, there, there was lots of varying opinions on him when he was drafted. Uh, you know, he just, he lit it up in college this year, won the Hobie Baker, three points in his first AHL game. Cole Caulfield gets recalled today by the Montreal Canadiens. Good chance maybe he makes his uh, NHL debut tonight. You know, there's a smaller guy, highly skilled, Chris. What, what was what was your your draft analysis of Caulfield? And is everything you saw kind of panning out or is he potentially maybe going to be better than you thought? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I, I don't know the specific number that I had him, but I believe I had him as a top five, top eight, somewhere in there um, in his draft year. I mean, he scored 72 goals this his draft year. So you're like, whoa, okay, well, that's that's crazy. Um, nobody had ever come close to that number at the National Team Development Program as an under-18 player. And they have had Phil Kessel and, and Patrick Kane who were playing against weaker competition at the time too. So uh, <laughs> I, I always believed that he was going to find a way because he always has. Um, also, I thought last season he laid the foundation but it was such a good decision to go back to to wisconsin to continue to get stronger and one of the things that he really needed to do and this is true in after year too because he played with jack hughes and so he wasn't the guy carrying the puck in the zone he wasn't the guy driving play he was the guy who was more um uh was, was basically waiting for for the pass but the thing that always stood out to me is his higher 
the, his offensive zone sense of timing, his net sense shooting accurately, obviously an elite release, um, you know, not big, not a lot to support that he'll get tons stronger, but he he's built a, a good amount of strength. He's improved his competitiveness away from the puck and it does a really good job of getting him theirs. So he has continued to stack more skills top of what he already had. But when you have an elite scoring tool like he does, it's a special tool. It's nice to see him dominate college hockey this year. You know, I he was on my Baker watch list at the beginning of the season, and it's, it's, he's one of the players in college hockey. And you just have to be patient with guys like that as they make the various steps. Of course, the AHL right away and scores. He's getting the net front. He's doing all the things he was doing in Wisconsin. So it helps that that he's now in late form. And I think that's going to help ADMs as well, is that he's he's ready to do it. And his ability to 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 spot the space, to pop into an area where you know he just gets lost in the offensive zone, even when keying on him, that's the thing that fascinates me is he can just find a way to get open and he can find a way to get a clean shot off. And when he does shoot, it's the course, and the goalie's gonna have a hard time catching up to it. So I, I'm I'm not surprised by his success. I think that this is, you know, this is was headed. I wasn't surprised that he dropped in the draft just because that was the nature of that draft class. And and there were a lot of crazy things that happened over the course of that class. So now let's get to this year's draft and, you know, Owen power, the big six foot six defenseman out of Michigan, you know, a lot of people have him right at the top or very near the top, Chris, but outside of maybe drew Dowdy, even elite guys like, you know, Ekblad, Darlene, other top demon, it's taken them time to even Victor Hedman, who's now arguably the best defenseman. He wasn't dominant right away. It's such a hard position. Should we expect Owen power to come in, play well, but probably be more in the mold of like the headmans and the Ekblads rather than the instant Dowdy success. Yeah. I, I do think that there's probably a, a slow build to, to what, what Owen power becomes at the NHL level, just because I, we saw it at points this season in college hockey, where it took him a, a bit of time to adjust to the pace to adjust to, um, you know, just the, the college hockey four check, which is, you know, really difficult. And you gotta be so sharp with your, with your retrievals and everything. And, and he, he gradually improved as the season wore. And I think the big thing that helps him is he's really smart. You know, he, he just, he has a real feel for the game, a real sense of, of, of how to defend, how to play offensively, you know, makes great passes. His mobility is, is, is terrific for a player of his size. You know, I think he does need to get maybe a little bit more aggressive at times. Sometimes he can play it a little too safe. I'd like to see him get a little more physical. Those are, those are things that he can improve on over time. But I think, you know, the foundation of his skills are such that the upside's there for him to be a number one defenseman. And I think that that's really the big thing for me that, that keeps him in that conversation as being the top guy, because, you know, in this draft class, you know, you mentioned there's not a lot of, of, of super high end guys that we're, we're completely convinced are going to be top, top players. You know, I think there are a lot of maybe second line centers and second line wings and a lot of second pairing defensemen and things like that. But, but I think Owen power has the upside and, and you know, the profile, you know, physical profile, similar to Hedman. I think the playing style is, is closer to like a, like a Heskinen. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of, it's just, he's very deliberate, but, but, but distinct and, and, and definitive in his decisions. Um, and, and so I think that that's really a great thing to be at this point and, and to watch him from when he started his freshman year and really to have watched him from his rookie season, in the USHL two years ago to see the progression. Now it's been very natural and gradual. I think it'll, that'll continue at the NHL level. You, 
he could play right away. It's going to take some patience to get him to, to a top level, but he's a guy that I think will make a difference for a team for years to come as, as a top pairing number one potential defenseman. You mentioned, you know, there, there's not McDavid's and they're very, a few of those guys, or even like an Austin Matthews and such. Is there a potential David Pasternak who went 25th <laughs> his draft year and is now one of the elite goal scorers? And, you know, a lot of people look back in that draft and are like, how did Pasternak drop so low? Because he came in virtually right away. It wasn't like he was a guy who exploded at 21. Um, it's hard to find those guys, Chris, but I'm sure every year as a scout, you're looking and, and you maybe you, you automatically just rank those guys higher. But is there a forward in here who, who you think, you know, a late first round or mid first round or who has the potential to turn out to be maybe the best offensive guy of the class? Well, I think that's, yeah, I think you could, that, that can happen in a lot of years. And I think in a year where there's really no consensus, it's, it's even more likely to happen. And, and, you know, there, there are, there is a mix of players here that I think are, are, are pretty special in terms of, you know, they have one standout trade or they have one thing that, you know, I, it, they're, they're among the best at what they do in the draft class. I think one of those guys might be Cole Sillinger, who's a bit on the, you know, he's a bit on the smaller side. He played for Medicine Hat last year, moved to the USHL this year and became a dominant goal scorer. Um, He's got an elite release, tremendous hands. Um, You know, I think that sometimes you need to see a little more consistency in terms of his competitiveness and and his pace. Um, Those are the two kind of things that you got, you know, you're not sure about, but that, that shooting tool is elite. Uh, his hand skills are, are, are super high end and he just has a know-how and, you know, obviously he's got NHL bloodlines, Mike Sillinger's son. And um, he's, he, he's kind of really taken on his development this year. He's going to play at the world under 18 championship. Now, if he goes there and he blows that out of the water, uh, it's going to be really difficult for him to slip, you know, beyond the mid range of the draft. You know, for me, he's a top 15 pick. I, I think, you know, that's not the general consensus at this point. I think there, it's all over the map on him. He's a little polarizing, I think, because of the size and skating. Um, but he's a guy that I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for in this draft, just because of that hand skill and the, and, and the shooting tool that he has. I mean, he scored some real highlight, real goals, just backing down defenders with smart moves and, and just making room for himself. And, you know, I really like goaltenders or goal goaltenders, goal scorers that can create for themselves. And I think that's something that he does very well. Now, um, but there, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Matt Coronado, 46 mm. goals in the SH uh, USHL this year. I think that's a record for draft eligible guys. It is, um, yeah. is he the best pure goal scorer in the draft? Who it's tough to say um, he's, he's up there. I mean, you know, the thing about him is, is he's like where Sillinger scores a lot of his goals from distance. Coronado scores a lot of his goals from in tight. He scores a lot off the rush. He's got a great shot. Um, and, and, you know, to score 46 goals in the USHL is ridiculous. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, Thomas Vanek was the last guy to do it in his first draft eligible season. Um, and so Coronado's right there with him and will surpass him, probably be the first 50 goal scorer. Um, in a draft eligible season, you know, outside of the national team development program, since they don't play all their games in the USHL, but they've had guys like Caulfield and, and Keeper Bellows and others that have scored 50 there. Um, but Coronado plays on a juggernaut team. He's playing with a great center in, in Sean Farrell, who is a, a, a Habs draft pick who was supposed to be at Harvard this year, was, was supposed to be a freshman at Harvard. Harvard canceled their season or the Ivy league canceled the, the, the season. And so he goes back to junior and the, these two guys have just absolutely terrorized the USHL. Um, so, you know, I think, I think for him, 
you know, I, he reminds me more, more similarly of a more dominant Brock Besser in his, in his USHL season where he was, you know, he was strong. He was getting to the net. He was playing hard. Um, Coronado is more of a, a driving forward. He's not big, but he's got power elements because he gets to the inside so well and he gets, he lowers the shoulder and he's difficult to slow down. So um, I don't know if he's the best pure goal scorer per se, but he's certainly in that mix of guys that you don't want to sleep on because you're going to, you're going to miss out on a, on a high end offensive talent. I want to ask you about scouting when there's a lot of really good players on one team and is there a challenge at all? Because sometimes a guy might not put up as good a numbers because they're not playing with his skilled guys. And you look at Michigan now, Owen Powers, a defenseman, but then you got Kent Johnson, right? You got Matthew uh, Beniers. They're all on the same team, right? And they're, they're, a lot of these guys are all ranked in the top 10 on, on different guys' ranking boards. So is, is that an issue at all when you're evaluating Chris? Because you're like, well, these guys are just so good that they, they help elevate. Or is that a better way to say, you know that these guys can play with other elite players? Yeah, I think I think you ha- you have to look at it both ways, and I think look being able to play with an elite player is is a is a skill. It is it is absolutely a skill. It takes hockey sense. It takes anticipation because that other player has that. So you better be up to that level. And, and I think in the cases of, of specifically Beniers and and Johnson, you know, Kent Johnson spent most of the year playing. I believe he played with um, uh, Thomas Bordalo a bit in the beginning. You know, he's played with Beniers as well. And, and you kind of see the separation. It, it, I do like seeing guys on the same team because you can see kind of where where others are. So Beniers started the year as the number three guy at Michigan, and there are some that would put him one, and I have him two right now. You know, so like basically for me, seeing seeing uh, Owen Power and Matty Beniers in the same team was like the year where it was. Eric Johnson and Jonathan Taves, who were not on the same team, but were so highly regarded for, yeah. for this, for similar reasons. And, and, and I'm like, wow, you know, if you redid that, obviously you would take Taves first. Um, you still got a, a, a very good NHL defenseman, a serviceable guy that was a number one overall pick, but you take Taves in that instance. And so that always playing in my head throughout the season. Um, I think ultimately, you know, Beneers is, is, is a, is one of the best forwards in this draft. I think that he's, he's a high end offensive player, but he's also one of the best defensive centers that we have in this draft. He's one of the most competitive players and, you know, the guy that you can win in the playoffs with and, 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 you know, reminds me so much of Jonathan Taves who played, who played his draft year at North Dakota, um, you know, or, you know, was, was basically developing in North Dakota after, after, uh, and had the tremendous world juniors, Beniers was great at the world juniors. Again, didn't have a, a Jonathan Taves moment uh, per se, but you know, do. but he, no, nobody, nobody really does. I guess Troy Terry is the last, the most recent one to do it, but yeah, but the, uh, the, the way, it, the way it's worked out for him is I think that, you know, the more you watch players like that and you see the skill of a Johnson, but then you see the the total package of a, a player like Beniers and you see it at the same game. Um, you can just see that, that Matty Beniers impacts the game in a completely different way than Kent Johnson does. And one that may be more beneficial to a team that's competing for a playoff spot. Not, and that's not to say that Johnson's not elite because he's still a top, top six guy for me. How much of a disadvantage, if any, do the CHL teams in Canada have this year, right? Uh, you know, the OHL barely played. The Quebec League played for bits, shut down. Uh, the Western League, some teams have played more games. Other teams have got shut down. So, you know, you're talking you know, maybe, you know, maybe 25 games, 28 potentially for a lot of these teams. Now, I know you've, you you watched these players last year, Chris, but man, these young guys can change so much from their, their 16-year-old season to their 17-year-old season. Is Does that make it, 
a little bit more of a wild card for those leagues compared to NCAA and USHL who are playing a lot closer to a normal season. I think it does. It it increases the risk a little bit because you're not necessarily sure. I mean, you take the WHL for instance, and you're say, say you're looking at the production of of a Dylan Gunther who who's a two point per game player. You say, well, that's pretty amazing for a draft eligible player. And it is, and it, and, and I don't want to take anything away from what he's done because he's been exceptional this year and he's a top five prospect um, in this draft. But what, what happens is, is okay. Well, he's not, he's playing against, all the same teams all the time. They're playing within their divisions. They're playing, they're not traveling the long distances. That is a can the, the regular thing of the, the WHL season. So, you know, that context going in, but then you say, okay, well, let me see what he did last season. And how does he look compared to that this season? Where are the areas that he's improved? What are the things that he, he does better? Because you can still see those things. They're still playing real hockey games. It's a, it's a competitive thing. And so for me, you know, I, I, I basically look at the production and I say, that's great. I'm going to put that aside. And I just want to see the foundation of, of skills that he's built up. And I think in the case of Gunther, it's, you're seeing, you know, improved skating, even definitely stronger, better timing, just becoming a more of a play driver while he's playing with veteran players. You know, he played a lot with Jake neighbors this year. And that's a guy that, you know, went in the first round last year and, and, and he's more of the driver of that line. So Gunther has to find a way to, to make an impact, but you know, he was, he was just, hopping in goals and, 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 and assists all, all season long. So, um, but you know, obviously the, the, the biggest concern at this point is the OHL players that have not played yet. That, yeah, like that, Mason that, McTavish. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he at least went overseas and he, he went to the Swiss league and that was, that was great. But then you also have to say, well, how do I judge that? How do I judge the, the North American player playing in Europe who played about 15, 16 games or 17 games, I think for, for McTavish, he looked great by the way, over there. I mean, I was really impressed with, with how well he played, but then you say, you know, what, what would he have looked like against his peers if he, if he did that? And that's really what's tough to judge. And, and, you know, you can only go based on what you see, but then, you know, there are other guys uh, that, that will be playing on the Canadian U18 team. I think Logan Mayu who played for the, the, the London Knights, you know, is a, is a great example of a guy that I didn't list. And it's not because I don't think he can be a good prospect. I think he, he is. It's just, I haven't seen him play this year. And I, there's too much. I don't know yet that I'm, I I will now wait and see at the under 18 worlds. If, if that's, if, you know, how much I can judge off of that one event. Now we hope there's going to be other things like uh, prospect games. The NHL seems to be working on some of those things where, where they can, they can pull the top players and give, you know, scouting events still, but even then it's not the same, you know, we just had the all American prospects game a couple of weeks ago and it was a dreadful um, evaluation event. Uh, you know, they had the NTDP playing against the USHL, the best American born USHL players. And, and it was, it was a no contest. And, and, and that was actually one of the better USHL teams that you could have put together. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, you, you kind of have to take all of it with a grain of salt and, and just, just trust in what you saw from their U17 or their U17 season into their U18 season or their draft minus two draft minus one, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and just try to see, you know, how, piece together what, what you can about what they're doing, what they've been doing, how they've, you know, and if you see them live or, or on video, what have they done to improve or what are the things that, that are different from the last time you saw them, but you know, you're taking it with a grain of salt again, because of the long layoff, there's nothing natural about the season. There are none of the natural benchmarks that we have, like the top prospects or, or the world juniors. It's just a gradual progression of the season. That's the thing that's been most annoying to me is, is I can't, like plot out those points where, okay, here he is at the beginning of the season. Here he is in the middle of the season. Here he is at the end of the season. 
that doesn't exist this year. So you, you really have to be sharp and, and try to hone in on what you see. Do you think the U18s are going to maybe be more influential than they ever have been in the eyes of scouts? Because here's an opportunity to see a lot of the best from different countries and some kids who haven't even played very much. And, and I don't, I don't want to say it's a make or break because it's a draft. And regardless of where you get drafted, it doesn't at the end of the day impact what you can do as an NHL player, but it can impact teams a lot. And I'm not going to say misses, but how that's going to influence it. Like I just get the sense from the U 18s that it's going to carry more weight, maybe Chris, than it ever has before. And, and even if you don't want it to, it just might have that, that recency bias potential more than ever. It's not, yeah, it's not just the recency bias. It's going to be the first time that a lot of general managers have seen these players live. Cause we're expecting to see, a, you know, high level NHL executives and decision makers at this tournament. And they've been watching these guys on video. Some of them, you know, some of them haven't been, and, and we know that, you know, you can do all the scouting all the whole year, but the general manager ultimately is the one that's going to sign off and make the decision dep uh, depending on how much he empowers his, his scouting staff. And so I think that that's the, that that's the, the peril of this event is that, you know, somebody performs really well, a general manager says one thing and the area scouts that have seen them multiple times that have concerns here, you know, that's where the, the potential for mistakes could be made. I think that everybody kind of goes into it knowing that I think the smarts, you know, the smart scouting staffs are certainly not going to um, let that creep in to be the, the, the sole process of the decision. They're going to want to make sure they do all the extra homework. I think if a guy, a guy can really help his stock, no question, just because this is a, this is a big event. There's a lot of top end players here. It's a chance to see them right next to each other, playing against each other, playing with each other. It's such a great uh, compare and contrast event anyway, but with the lack of views and the, the opportunity that so many of these teams are going to actually finally get to see a lot of the Europeans and the Canadians live that they haven't seen yet, if they couldn't cross the border, um, it, 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 it looms largely. I mean, it's no question to me, the most important scouting event of the season. Um, it'll be the most, you know, natural in terms of what we're used to because it's, you know, it's a two week tournament and it's going to go the way it's going to go. And it's always the same. And so, you know, that's going to feel a little bit more normal than anything else has this season. And uh, lastly, then we'll get to rapid fire. We always end our interviews with the rapid fire, but uh, one of the more hotly contested debates every year in the scouting circles are goaltenders. Mm -hmm. And uh, this year there's two Sebastian Casa who plays for the Edmonton oil Kings. And then of course you've got uh, Jesper Wallstead uh, out, of, out of the SHL in, in Sweden. And, you know, a lot of people have those two as the top guys. I, I, I have seen a vast disparity of ranges on where they go and goaltending I find is the one it's funny. If you don't have a goalie in the NHL, you can't win. Like it's really yeah. hard, but people are, are very nervous at times to want to draft them because it seems that it's, it's still maybe the hardest position to, to, uh, to assess. It is. I think teams have gotten better at it. I think that they've done more risk analysis in terms of actual, <laughs> instead of scouting in terms of uh, what to do about a goaltender, but as we've seen in more recent years, teams are getting more comfortable with it. Cause I think the goaltending development in general has gotten better. Uh, players are getting more coaching and, and, and better coaching at a younger age. And they're also getting, you know, opportunities uh, at younger ages to play in big situation. That's why Jesper Wallstead is such a, 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 an intriguing prospect for this draft because there isn't a ton of precedent for a player at his age playing as many games as he did yeah. in the SHL. That's an important thing there. Um, you know, but you watch him and he's, he's the, the other thing that I love about this goaltending crop, the two of them is they are so different. 
so different in the way that they play. Um, Casa is huge. He's six foot six, but he is one of the quickest six foot six goalies I've seen. Uh, just he's a little chaotic in the net at times, but even though he's chaotic, I still think he keeps his net pretty well for a goalie that moves as quickly as he does. And, and, and it's, you know, he's real interesting. So I think it'd be really tough to draft either one of them in the top 10. I think that, you know, if I was in the lottery range, I'd feel a little more comfortable with Wallstedt. Um, and I think that he will probably end up, you know, one of those two guys is going to go in the lottery range. I think there are teams that definitely have them in different orders. Okay. Um, but I think it's possible. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of, I guess it kind of depends on which teams, like in terms of prospect pools and what they have in their system already, um, are in that range where they can get those guys. But, but I do think both will be first round draft picks. Um, I do think that both will, um, be picked pretty early and, and I think that they both have the upside to be number ones. Um, and you're not picking guys in the first round if you don't think they can be a number one goalie. And I think both of them in this class where they're kind of after them, it really drops off a fair amount. I think in the goaltending department, there are going to be teams that are eager to get one of those two guys and say, okay, we have our goalie of the future. Cause I think that's what they can be. Um, we've seen it now with, with Spencer Knight and Yaroslav Skarov last season. Um, I think that these guys are are very much, I, I don't think either of them are as good as Knight or Askarov were at the same age. I do think that they're both better than a lot of the other goalies that we've seen in, in recent years. All right. All right, Chris, we always like to end our interview with a segment called rapid fire. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer every question. Okay. All right. So we'd like to have a little fun. Uh, first one after a tough night of scouting or a long night of scouting, what is your cocktail of choice? Uh, bourbon on the rocks. Ooh, yeah, a little bit classy. of water. Splash like of water. Okay. Yeah. Um, for you, what's the toughest position to scout? Goaltending. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah. As a skater, is there is there a certain role type of player that's the hardest to project on what they're going to be as an NHLer? Mm. Skater. Um. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think defensive defensemen are difficult to project like an actual pure defenseman where you're just like, this guy is just a good defender because if he doesn't have other tools, it's really hard to make it in the NHL now. So that's, that's difficult. You've been at a lot of arenas over the years. So what is the best food at a hockey rink that you've been at? Ooh, best food. Um, <laughs> actually this one goes out way back to 2011 in Krimitschau, Germany. Best bratwurst sausage in the history of any arena. Uh, the, 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 the ice pirates of Krimichau, which is like a second division German team. I was at the U18 world there and the, and one end of the arena is open. So it's all pine trees and in, in this, uh, and it's open and it's like, and we were playing in April in this, uh, I was working for USA hockey at the time, <laughs> but uh, our equipment manager put down six of those brats in one day, uh, which was, which was the record. Um, and I, I only managed two in a day and I felt terrible the next day and I didn't have a brat the rest of that summer, but, uh, they'd never compare to what we had there. Okay. Um, what is your bias as a scout that you always have to maybe hold in check? Is there a certain <laughs> skill that you just are like, Oh, geez, maybe I'm overrating it. I think every scout that I would talk to would say he overrates every American player. <laughs> So it's not even a skill. It's not even a skill. Um, but I say, I think I know since I'm, you know, I am American, I'm U S based. I see a lot in the USHL and the NTDP. 
And I wouldn't say it's biased. It's just, that's who I see the most. And okay. so that, so I have to be aware of that too. And I think I've gotten better at it, but I would say, you know, basically, you know, if, if there's an American on my list, sometimes it's, it's very spot on. And sometimes there have been a few where I got a little overzealous and, and just believe myself a little too much uh, because of a amount of views and, and, and didn't give some other players the benefit of the doubt that I did for, for them. Okay, good. That leads to my next question. So who is the player you scouted that you're like, man, this guy's going to be a star and it just didn't pan out. Um, Mikhail Grigorenko was the number one guy. I thought he was going to be like Malkin level. Um, you know? Yeah. And this was early in my career too. I mean, like this is when I didn't know much about anything and I didn't really understand how physically dominant he was at, at 16 and 17. When I first saw him, you know, I first saw him at the U 17 challenge and it was just like, no one could stop him. And then they saw him at the under 18 worlds and as no one could stop him. And he was playing on a line with Nikita Kucherov and Nail Yakupov and Kucherov was the leading scorer in that tournament. And he still went in the second round that year. Crazy. And, you know, so, so, I mean, well, I think part of it was a lot of people didn't really know about him until the U18 worlds. And then, and then there was a lot of concern that, can we actually get this guy uh, okay. over here where Grigorenko was like, I'm coming to Quebec next year. We'll get, you know, I'm out of here, you know, all this other stuff. So, so they felt more comfortable with him, but I, I was convinced Grigorenko was such an elite playmaker. He did so many things that I didn't see teenagers do. There was always, you know, the rumors that he wasn't as old as he said he was, um, you know, or was older than he said he was. So, um, but that was the guy where I was just absolutely convinced. I think him and, and Jonathan Drouin is another one where I was just like, just obsessed with the skill and it, it got sucked into it and, and thought he was, you know, the next Patrick Kane. Okay. So lastly, which player over the, you know, you've been in this, you know, entering your second decade now that you scouted and that you liked, but you weren't sure on and just, you know, blew the doors off and become a much better player than you thought he'd be. Ooh, man. There are a lot of those. Um, you know, I think you just, you, guys that, that you just learn about, um, over time, uh, I'm trying to think Mark Shifley, that's one for sure. So Mark Shifley, I saw it same, same world under 18s where I had the, all the bratwurst. And that's actually the same one where Gregorenko was at. Um, uh, he was, I thought he was very good, but I didn't see, you know, number one center. I didn't see no, you know, I didn't even see necessarily a, a lock to be a top six guy, little concern. I thought his skating was only okay at the time. And, um, I just, I didn't, I, for whatever reason, I just didn't buy into him. And, and he's a guy that just became way better every time. And, you know, it took him a little while to get to get to the, to the level that, that he was at. And, and, you know, he had some bumps in the, in his early NHL career. And I was like, up, oh, see, I knew what I was talking about. And then all of a sudden, boom. And you're just like, okay, I was a complete idiot but really that's just the nature of development. You can never tell when those, when that, when a guy's it's all going to come together for a guy. And, and, you know, if I would have known more about Shifley, the person, I think I would have had a more, um, and that's another reason thing that I've improved on as a scout is trying to learn these guys as people as much as I can. And that's why I missed the combine. Cause that's when I get to do a lot of that. But, you know, he's a guy that was so driven and, and so smart and so knowledgeable of, of what he needed to do to get to the next level guys that know themselves the way that Mark Shifley knew himself at that point, those guys make it a lot more than they don't. Chris, awesome stuff, man. I really appreciate this uh, so much. Once again, people can get your stuff at hockey sense on Substack. Uh, where, where can they go? What's the easiest way to get subscribed? 
Yeah. So hockeysense.substack.com or chrispetershockey.com. Um, those are the, those are the two main avenues to get there. Um, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy. A paid subscription gets you pretty much everything on the website. So, uh, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of draft content, a lot of college hockey stuff as well. And then I also have a, a podcast that's kind of connected to that called talking hockey sense, where it's a lot of the same things, but it, it's not just draft coverage. We try to be a little bit more general. Um, and, you know, so I'll have like a documentary filmmaker on next week and a draft Q and a, the same episode. So, you know, you get a little bit of something for everybody. So, uh, yeah, but I I've, I've had a blast, you know, being independent again, it's how I started, uh, with my own blog and, uh, I cannot be more thankful for the people that have signed up so far. Cause it's letting me continue to do what I love. And, um, I'm, I'm just really appreciative for all the subscribers that I have and, and hope, you know, people will sign up after hearing this as well and, and enjoy, uh, enjoy what they, they get out of it. But, uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on and give me a chance to plug it. Well, Chris, thanks so much, man. I love your stuff of being a fan and uh, uh, really respect uh, your analysis over the years. So I uh, look forward to catching up with you again uh, near closer to the draft. As always, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Jason. Really appreciate it. Uh, there you go. That is Chris Peters. Check him out at uh, Hockey Sense on Substack. And uh, that wraps up episode 20 of the DFO Rundown. Uh, Frank will be back uh, next week and uh, we're just securing. I'm pretty sure we'll have uh, maybe one of the biggest wheelers and dealers of NHL GMs joining us on the show. Then have yourself a great weekend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.